All right, I've entitled this message, A Mild Form of Atheism, and you'll, uh, you'll get that in a little while. Opening scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, right now as we approach your word, we again offer you ourselves. God, we are inviting you to speak into our lives cause us to, to, to change and be, be more conformed into your image and, and be transformed by your word that we might leave this place different than when we came in, more and more the way you want us to be. And we trust that you'll do that because you're faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And I thought for this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving that it would be appropriate to talk about giving thanks, of praising, of rejoicing. It seems to me that those things are clearly a part of God's design for us. I really like the, the repeating refrain of Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for His steadfast love endures forever. On and on, the last verse, give thanks to the God of heaven for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks because his steadfast love endures forever. I'm convinced that there is something that happens as we vocalize our thanksgiving, our praise, our rejoicing to him. Think about Paul and Silas in prison, and they're there and they're rejoicing, they're praising God at midnight. What happens? There's this earthquake and the prison doors get opened, right? Or I think of the Old Testament in uh, 2 Chronicles 20 where King Jehoshaphat sent the singers out ahead of the army. And what happened? When they praised the Lord, the Lord sent ambushments against the enemy. Something happens as we begin to praise. And those, are, those are examples from Scripture, just a couple of them. There's so many others. I'm guessing that we all know those. I'm guessing there are people here that have lived those kind of things. Maybe not quite to that degree, but you've seen that kind of thing happen. So I want to talk today about giving thanks to God, about praising Him, about rejoicing in Him. But I'm going to take the, 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 the kind of long route around, if you will, because if we're honest, it seems to me that thanking God is not our default mode, especially when we face challenging times. We are more apt to grumble and complain. Maybe I'm just talking to me today? Amen. Yes, I am. Okay, great. And I don't know about you, but I, I at least take some comfort, and maybe it's wrongly placed comfort, um, but comfort nevertheless in the fact that I'm not the only one that does those kind of things. We look at the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, it seems like they are regularly grumbling and complaining. Remember the, the story before they ever left Egypt and uh, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they confront him for the first time asking him to let the people go and Pharaoh doesn't like that idea. He's going to make them keep making their bricks without straw. That was more difficult. And so the people got upset. Exodus uh, chapter 5, talk about the leaders there. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks a lot, Moses. We had it bad before, but now it's going to be even worse. Great. So glad you're helping us. 
You think they might be a little bit upset here? You think they might be mad? They grumbled and complained. And then, and then remember later on when they, they came out of Egypt, after they had seen the, the plagues and what God did there in Egypt, and they're on the shore of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh again, of course, changed his mind, and he's chasing after them and his army. And what happened? Exodus 14 they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out here, out of Egypt? Is not this what we said when you, to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We, we should have just stayed there, Moses. What were you thinking? We told you that back there. What, the, there, there weren't enough graves back there. You got to bring us out here to wipe us out? Yeah, I could paint this whole picture that we're going to look at of the Old Testament Israelites as though they were always grumbling and complaining, but there were at least a couple of times where they, they praised, they thanked God. All right, I'll admit that those times were kind of few and far between, but, but they did happen. Most memorable, I think, is when God did rescue them there on the shore of the Red Sea. He opened the Red Sea. They walked through, wiped out um, Pharaoh's army, and they're on the other side Exodus 15, 1, this great time of rejoicing. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. They're praising God for what they had seen him do there. So there were moments of praise. They weren't, apparently they weren't, grumbling and complaining every moment of every day. But it's just, it's just three days later. 72 hours after they saw that great deliverance. Three days after they're rejoicing there on the shore of the Red Sea and they're in a place called Mara. And Scripture says they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. And what happened? The people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, now we look at this after what they saw God do to the Egyptians and we think these guys... This shouldn't be that hard to figure out. You know, we, we look at them, we think they're idiots. We think they're the, the slow class, right? But let me ask you this. Do you happen to know anybody that God has rescued from a life of slavery, that he has adopted into his family, that he has promised eternal life with him, and that person still has a tendency to wonder whether God is going to take care of them? Oh, you do know somebody like that. Maybe we're not all that different from those Old Testament Israelites. At least not as different as we'd like to think we are. I want us to note there's a recurring problem that happens again and again. Something goes wrong. The people of Israel grumble and complain about it. And then God intervenes. Either he fixes it or at least addresses the situation and then the people are happy for a while. And then it all starts again. It keeps happening over and over. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't have this problem, but I do. I waver. Oh, I, I have great faith at times. There's other times that I wonder. Oh, sure, I, I saw God miraculously take care of that auto repair bill last month. But this month, my refrigerator stopped working. By the way, that's not true. This is simply a sermon illustration, all right? 
And will he take care of that one? So I wonder. Can you relate? There's several verses on down. They didn't have enough food. Exodus 16, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died in the land, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, they're grumbling and complaining. Moses, we had plenty of food back in Egypt. Why didn't you just leave us there? You brought us out here to kill us by hunger. We're also going to starve to death out here. But I want you to notice how Moses responds this time. He says, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. He's making it really, really clear that although the human target might be Moses and Aaron, that the real ultimate grumbling and complaining is toward the Lord. And, and, and you know what? Honestly, the, the people of Israel might have disagreed with that. Oh, no, 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 Moses, we're, we're not grumbling against God. Just you. But see, it didn't make any difference because Moses understood that ultimately their grumbling was against him whether or not they realized it. And isn't that true for us? It wasn't just the Israelites back then that God was leading. It wasn't just those folks that God was taking care of. It wasn't just the, the, the Old Testament Israelites who, who God had brought out of their former lives, lives of slavery. No, it's you and me. He's leading. He's, he's providing for He's taking care of. So when we grumble and complain, it's not just against people. It's not just against, I don't know, leaders or our bosses or spouse or whatever. No, ultimately, our grumbling and complaining is against God. Somebody told me years ago that grumbling and complaining is a mild form of atheism. Hence the title of the sermon. Want to make sure you all got that. Okay, good. We grumble and we complain because we don't fully trust God. See, I think we too often have more, if I can say it this way, faith in our outward circumstances than we do in Him. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, we're supposed to live our lives with our, our, our faith, our trust, our confidence focused on God not on the situation, not on the circumstances. The Israelites did just the opposite. They walked by sight, not by faith. They saw Pharaoh's army coming, and they grumbled. They saw no water, and they grumbled. They saw no food, and they grumbled. They were walking by sight. And see, you and I can look at them, and we can shake our heads and think they're stupid, but it seems to me that we have a tendency to do the same thing, at least on occasion. How many times have you and I responded in challenging times more with grumbling than we have with faith, than we have with trust? That pink slip that you got at your last job seemed like too big of a situation for God to handle. That negative diagnosis from the doctor that unexpected bill 
that whatever it is in your life that sends you into a tailspin, those are the things that cause us to go into grumbling and complaining and to stop trusting God too often. They cause us to walk more by sight than by faith. And that's what happened with the Israelites. So even when Moses explained to them, no, you're not grumbling against me, you're grumbling against God. It's just one chapter later, guess what? They're doing it again. Exodus 17, the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, you go on through the rest of the, the story there and you keep seeing this over and over again. I want to I fast forward just to save us some time here. And to take us to the point of, remember just, the, they're right on the verge of going into the promised land. They send the spies in to check out the land. Twelve spies, ten of them came back, you remember, with the bad report. We're, we're as small as grasshoppers compared to these guys. We can't do this. There's no way we can go up against these guys. And guess what happened? Numbers chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. There it is again. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Exactly what they said they didn't want to happen a little while ago. You with me? Why is, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Think about this. They are right on the verge of going in to the land that God had promised. The God that they had seen decimate Egypt without their assistance. He did not need their help. And now they're going, oh, we can't do this. These guys are too big. This is, this is too big of an issue for God to handle. Again and again, they grumbled over and over. They complained. And I, I realize that Scripture doesn't actually say this, but I'm convinced that it goes back to their days in slavery. Think about it. They, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, it was all they had never known was a life of slavery. And, and I've never been a, a physical slave, but I can easily imagine that a life like that of hard, grueling labor day after day, uh, and if you don't do the work, then you're facing the harsh taskmaster. A life like that could easily lead into a mindset of grumbling and complaining. But here's the truth. Even without you and I being physical slaves, we can still easily fall into those same bad habits. Having been slaves to sin for so long, it seems like grumbling and complaining is kind of the default mode for fallen mankind. Think about it. We complain about everything. The weather, it's too hot. 
It's too cold. It's been raining for so long. It's been so dry. We, we, we complain about our jobs. My boss is so annoying. We complain about our, our, our neighbors. We complain about our country. We complain about, about the price of gas. We complain about stupid people that we have to deal with. We complain about our computers running slow. We complain about traffic running slow. I mean, you name it. We complain about it over and over and over. Maybe you have your own big grumbling topic that consumes a lot of your grumbling time. And perhaps you've even at some point thought, you know, if I, could, if I could do it all over, I would change, you fill in the blank. But see, the fact of the matter is that God has promised to redeem even our failures, our mistakes, our wrong motivations, our bad choices. He's bigger than all of those things. And, and, and here's the deal. There's an aspect of this, this Old Testament Israelites grumbling and complaining thing that I think we need to recognize. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. These stories are an example for us. A bad example, all right, but an example nevertheless. They were written down for our instruction. They're not just there so that we can point our condescending finger at those people and say they're stupid. No, we, we get a front row seat so that we can learn from what they did or what they should have done. We get to see the consequences that they suffered so that we can learn from it. It's there for our instruction. We can choose the right path. So I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to look at one more section from the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Hmm. Any of you? Never mind. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he, may, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now I want us to, to note a few things here from this section of Scripture, but I want us to keep in mind that these things were written for our instruction, okay? First, and, and most obvious, they're grumbling and complaining again. This is not new. This is the same old scenario, okay? But the way that God handles it this time is different. See, I think he is, in a sense, giving them a, a taste of their own medicine. He's letting them partake of the poison that they've been, been dishing out, if you will. They're on the receiving end of it. And as a result, this time, apparently for the very first time, 
they acknowledge that they've sinned. They hadn't done that before. And that, by the way, is what God helps us do. Without acknowledging our sin, we can't really experience salvation. Until we admit that we're sinners, we can't really know His grace and His mercy in our lives. It's when we confess our sins that He is faithful and just to forgive us, right? If you think back to, to Psalm 32, the Psalm of David, uh, when he had sinned with Bathsheba, and he says that, that when he did not repent, when he, he was not honest with God, when he did not come clean before God, that God's hand was heavy upon him. His strength was sapped. He, the convicting of the Holy Spirit was there upon him. Then finally, when he acknowledged that he had done wrong, it says, then the Lord forgave him. There's something about acknowledging that we're wrong that tends to unstop, if you will, the faucet of God's mercy. See, if we, if we try to cover up our sin, no, it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Then we are, in essence, cutting ourselves off from God's mercy. You've heard me quote Pastor Nick in the past when he said that grace has a catch. It's only for the guilty and it's true. And that's the place that the Israelites had to come to, admitting that, that they were wrong, recognizing their sin. It's the same place that you and I need to ultimately arrive at, that we see and we confess our grumbling and complaining as sin before God. It's not just a bad idea. No, it's sin. But that whole that whole serpent up on the pole thing in this story seems really strange to us at first glance. I mean, if we don't have any, any New Testament context to this, that can seem like, what? They did what? But the New Testament, we read John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just like the only solution for those snake bites for the Old Testament Israelites was to look to that serpent up on the pole, in the same way the only solution for us, for our rebellious nature, if you will, is to look to Christ, the one who was lifted up on the cross. Apart from the bronze serpent, those Israelites were dead. Apart from Christ, we're still dead in our sins. He's our only hope. Jesus lifted up on the cross just like the serpent was lifted up on the pole. It's the only place that we can find healing and ultimately forgiveness. And I want to also note one other thing in this section of Scripture, and that is that this is the last time that we hear about the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. I think that's interesting. Oh, don't misunderstand. They didn't all of a sudden become sinless, all right? But something apparently changed in their hearts and their minds. I think like the, the light bulb went on. They, they, they finally started to get it. They recognized the destructiveness of their, their murmuring, their complaining, their rebellion for all those years. Someone once said, the wilderness journey we call life is all about us coming to the place where we truly see our true spiritual condition. We recognize how desperately we need a Savior. Jeremiah 17 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You know, he doesn't do that for his benefit. He knows our hearts and mind. 
He does it for our benefit. He wants us to recognize how desperately we need Him. If you keep reading the book of Numbers, it's from that point on that they began to see victory after victory in their lives. And I don't want to make too much of this, but I don't want to make too little of it either. After all, Scripture says that that grumbling and complaining is our strength, right? No, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, joy, rejoicing, if you will, it's the opposite of grumbling and complaining. You cannot grumble and rejoice at the same time. You can't. They're mutually exclusive. And I find it interesting that it's just seven verses after the, the bronze serpent event that we read, then Israel sang. This is the first time since way back at the Red Sea that it tells us that Israel sang all together. I think there's something significant about that. My question here is, is it possible that they're repenting of their grumbling and complaining caused them to find their song? Again, I don't want to make too much of this, but I don't want to make too little of it either. See, when we, when we intentionally turn away from grumbling and complaining, I'm convinced it leaves a vacuum, and that vacuum has to be filled by something. So when the grumbling and complaining is gone, what's the best thing to fill it with? Thanksgiving, rejoicing, praise, right? acknowledging that everything we have is a gift from Him. Think about it. Do you remember when the, when the Israelites uh, took the city of Jericho? God told them they needed to march, they needed to blow trumpets, they needed to shout. Now, I'll be the first to admit that we are never told in Scripture exactly what it was that they shouted. Okay? But right before they shouted, Joshua addresses the people and he says this, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Technically, accurately, what he said is shout for Yahweh has given you the city. So what did they shout? Do you think maybe they shouted, Yahweh has brought us out of Egypt to kill us so we who are about to die are ready. No, I don't think that's what they shouted. See, I think that by that point in time, God had, had turned their hearts incrementally, reorienting them bit by bit, little by little, more and more toward him. I think at that point, they shouted praise. Oh, I can't say that for sure, but I will guarantee they did not shout grumbling and complaining. Something had happened on the inside at that point. Several years ago, Barb and I met a, uh, a young Christian woman named Kara Brovant, young, bubbly mom from Indiana. Didn't take us long to recognize she had quite a story to tell. Kara first met Derek. They were waiting in line at a concert, going to see the music group Jars of Clay. Kara was eating a pizza and Derek was hungry and the rest, as they say, was history. They were married sometime later, and Kara described Derek as the ideal husband, caring, attentive, strong Christian walk. She said she couldn't have asked for more. Their first daughter, Macy, was born in their first year of marriage. Amy came along two years later. They were happy. They were content. They had bought a house. God had, had clearly blessed their, their marriage and their family. 
One day, when Macy was about three years old, Derek came home for lunch. He worked at a, a nearby research farm, and he often came home for lunch. This particular day, he spent almost the entire lunchtime playing with Macy. And he told Kara when he was leaving, he said, it's been a really good day. I should be home by 2.30 today. And Derek was, was very punctual, very conscientious. So when he didn't show up by 3.30, Kara was a little bit concerned. It was about an hour later that she got a phone call from Derek's phone. They had used too many minutes that month already, and he had left it laying on his desk at his office. And it was Derek's boss, Travis, and he was wondering whether Kara had heard from Derek. No, hadn't. Wondered if everything was okay, and Travis tried to reassure her, oh, I'm sure everything's fine. A few minutes later, he called back again and said, are you sure you haven't heard from Derek? Yeah, I'm sure, and Kara was obviously wondering quite a bit at that point, but Travis didn't have any answers for her. That evening, when Derek still wasn't home, Kara went to her mom's house, and as she approached the house, she noticed a, a police car, didn't really think much about it, went inside, there were several people there, and her mom was there crying. And just that quickly, a police officer stepped across the room, looked at Kara and said, I'm sorry, there's been an accident. Your husband was killed today. Kara told me that every eye in the room was on her. Nobody spoke, nobody moved. She turned and she walked to the bathroom and went inside and closed the door. She got on her knees and prayed. And she said that God brought to her mind Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts, and with my song, I shall thank him. Think about those words. My heart exalts, and with my song, I shall thank him. She's been married for just over four years, and now her husband is dead. She's got two little girls. The youngest one is just eight months old. I cannot even begin to imagine the grief that she experienced in that moment. And I've got to think, it would have been really easy for Kara to grumble and complain. It would have been really easy for her to become cold and callous toward God. But that didn't happen. Instead, she declared, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. With my song, I shall thank him. I could grumble and complain right now, but with my song, I will thank him. Think back to our opening scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. That verse doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room, does it? It's not like there are apparently some situations where we shouldn't give thanks. I think give thanks in all circumstances means we should give thanks in all circumstances. Are you with me? Let me ask you this. 
What if the Israelites had done that? What if when they didn't see the provision for food or water, what if instead of grumbling and complaining, they had together lifted their voices in a song of thanks right there in the midst of those circumstances? What, what, if, what if when they saw Pharaoh and his army coming after them, they had together lifted their voices in a joyful shout to their God? I don't know that it would have changed everything, but it might have. You know, I'm convinced that if they would have done that, that honestly, we wouldn't have even, we wouldn't have even ever heard the story about the Red Sea opening because I think something more miraculous might have happened. Maybe, maybe right then and there, a comet came down and decimated the entire army. You know, you heard in the Old Testament about the time when the hailstones came down and wiped out the army that was up against Israel. Maybe, maybe the earth might have just opened up like it did Korah for Korah and his cohorts. And the whole army is just gone. And if that happened, maybe, maybe some of the, the Israelites might have walked over to the edge of that chasm and looked down and down and down. And maybe one of them might have dropped a rock down in there, waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, And maybe they would have looked at one another and said, did you see what our God just did? And they would have rejoiced all the more. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's part of what God gave us imagination for, guys. It's okay to imagine. I can't say for sure that that's what would have happened. But I do know that just like when Jehoshaphat sent the singers out ahead of the army, and when they began to praise, God sent ambushments, just like when Paul and Silas were in prison and they began to lift their voices in praise to God, that the earthquake came and opened the doors. Something happens as we give thanks and praise to our God, even in the midst of challenging times. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously give us. He who didn't spare his own son willingly gave him. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Is he your provider? Is he your strength? Is he your healer? Is he your peace? Is he your joy? The one that didn't spare his own son but graciously gave him up. Is it even conceivable that that God will not take care of you? I don't think so. Let's pray. Lord, too often, when we have faced challenges and difficulties in our life, too often we have been like those Old Testament Israelites and we have grumbled and we have complained. Lord, forgive us for our sin. 
we turn from that and we say we want to thank you we want to praise you we want to rejoice in you because we know you are God who willingly gave his own son that you will indeed take care of us may not always be the way that we think but you're with us every step of the way and Lord we will rejoice in you we will thank you we will praise you because you are always good amen